Good afternoon. Hey there, everybody. It is Friday at 5.30 p.m. here at the NASDAQ, and that can only mean one thing, and you know what it is. It is time for Options Action, and here's what's coming up on The Big Show. Next week is a big one for retail earnings, peaking with the elder statesman that is Walmart. While the stock's been up 15% so far this year, Carter Worth now has some words of caution. And... Global trade worries took their toll this week with seemingly no place to hide from the ripple effects. But Dan Nathan has a name he thinks has a clear plan of action to insulate itself. And surprise, it stands apart in the troubled tech sphere. Plus, and as we round out one of the wildest weeks on Wall Street in years, many now say the downside ride isn't over quite yet. If you're in that camp, Mike Coe has an inexpensive insurance plan keep you afloat. It's time to risk less and make more. The action begins now. Welcome, everyone. The Jackets are back. I'm Tyler Matheson in for Melissa Lee. We got a great show on tap for you. And we kick things off with the countdown to retail earnings next week. Now, Walmart reports results next week at retail giant not doing so well over the past month, down more than 4%. So what can you expect from Walmart as we head into its print? The chart master, Carter Worth is over at the plasma to break it all down. Carter. Right, obviously a big name, a low beta name, a safety name, and a name that did very, very well off the lows in December, up almost 35%, and now is giving some of that back. The thinking is there's more give back to come. Let's draw some lines. So what we know is that the stock's relative performance to the market is probably the biggest issue. This, by all accounts, is a breakout. But what it could never do is really make new relative highs. That's, that's the issue. So absolute returns, but no alpha. A double top of sorts. Now, if you come back to the chart itself, I think one of several ways you can draw the lines is as follows. What we know is you have a well-defined trend line. There's sort of no way around that. And then we have now a slight break of the line. And it's hovering here at this level. My thinking is we're going to break. Um, where to? You can draw the lines. This was the initial breakout move. Often you'll fall all the way back to the level from which you broke out, which actually is around 104, 103 and change. And we close at 107 and change. So a, a, a 3 to 4% drawdown at a minimum is what I'm thinking. Let's put all the lines together. And the betting is that we're going to fall back into this level. And it would complete, to some extent, this minor head and shoulders top that formed over the past month or so. So lower for Walmart into earnings. All right. That is what Carter says. Why don't you wander on back over, Carter. Mike, what's the trade here? Yeah. So, you know, Walmart is not a name that we typically think of as being very volatile. And the options market's implying a move of about 4% right now off of earnings. That turns out actually to be slightly below the average over the course of the last eight quarters. And the reason for that is we did see two earnings results where we saw about 10% moves, one up and one down during that period. And that certainly is something that is potentially in the cards that you have one of these outsized moves in a name like this. Another quick point I would make is that this thing is trading about 22 times forward earnings. Uh, That's not particularly cheap for a company that's got about 2% top line growth. EP, you know, the earnings per share has been pretty solid. Number one, for years they were having pretty good buybacks. That obviously is supportive to EPS. And uh, they are having good operational uh, improvements being made, and that's improved their efficiency. But when you take a look at this, to me, I think options are relatively cheap. 
He did a great job, Carter, when he made the bullish call when the stock was trading in the mid-90s a while back. So I'm inclined to follow along with him and try to take advantage of that. I also don't see the stock falling much below the level from which it originally broke out, which was in the mid-high 90s. So what I'm looking at is the October 105.95 put spread. That's a $10 wide put spread. You can spend just over $2 for that. The price is when I was looking at this earlier today. 285 for the 105s, 80 cents for the 95 puts. Again, I don't think there's very much risk of it falling below that level. And the idea is if it gets down to 103, so that's two bucks in the money. We've only spent two bucks. You might feel like that's not going to be profitable. The truth is it actually will be profitable if it hits that level. And obviously if it breaks below that, then you have the opportunity to make substantially more. Dan, any thoughts here? Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, when I look at Carter's charts, I say to myself, he's playing for a mild pullback to the level in which you really want to kind of get some action going there. Um, I, I kind of like that level um, uh, as, as like a really good long entry. I'm just saying like somewhere in the between the 100 and 105. For one really big reason, you talked about relative strength relative to the market. Relative to most other retailers, it trades really, really well. And right, so I'm except, saying, But it's, it's, not, it's a staple. It's yeah. in the state, right? It's 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 a defensive. It's not a, you know, a, a tween store. Un- understood, but groceries I think they're competing better on some of the stuff that yep. they're doing. Half of their sales do come from groceries. But the, to the point about Mike's trade, the trade makes total sense. If you think that this stock could pull back ten or so percent, I think risking two to possibly make up to eight if the thing is down at ninety-five. And you got a lot of time. It's between now and, and October, so I do like the trade structure. It just depends how convicted you are uh, um, about the technicals and the fundamentals. You know, I mean, this is a situation where we're you know we're going to be spending less than two percent of the current stock price in premium to make this bet. I mean. Realistically, we have to think, what are the potential ranges for Walmart coming out of earnings, especially when you know, most of the float is controlled by the family? We're not really going to look to see moves that are in the 15% range. We've seen a lot of big moves this week and some other names coming off of earnings. I don't expect to see something that big. But you know, this is really a technical trade, and it really is a valuation trade. Consider that the average analyst price target for the stock is 112 so that's only about $4.5 you know, 4% higher than where the stock currently is. So you have to figure that coming out of earnings, unless they announce something really profoundly exciting, it's not likely going to break out above that level. All right, let's move, uh, sticking with earnings, but moving on from retail uh, to tech. Cisco is gearing up to report. uh, And overall, tech getting swept up in the trade war whirlwind. But on Mad Money back in May, the CEO of Cisco, Chuck Robbins, outlined how the company was quickly shifting to adjust to what was then the latest round of tariffs. Jim, I'll tell you, I'm proud of the team because uh, last week, obviously, we got the indication that the tariffs were going to go to 25%. They did on Friday morning. Within 48 hours, our team had executed on everything we needed to execute on to, uh, to, to take care of it. So it's behind us, and uh, it's relatively immaterial at this point based on all the work our teams have done, and it's uh, built into our guidance. Well, now the next possible round of tariffs are not exactly built into their guidance. So where do they go from here, Dan? You know, I thought that was a really interesting interview. I think it caught a lot of investors off sides a little bit. I think that they were given the opportunity to actually take a mulligan on guidance for all intents and purposes and say, listen, we don't have the visibility because of this trade war. But there's a lot of other things going on with Cisco. Obviously, one of their big network equipment um, competitors is Huawei. And we know that the uh, Trump administration has put a ban on them. Um, We know that increasing 
increase tariffs are not in their forward guidance. And that's what's going to be really important as we think about earnings um, next week. So the implied move in the options market is about 5%. It's kind of picked up a little bit over um, this week with some of the volatility. On average, this stock has moved about four and a quarter um, percent on the day after earnings over the last year or so. But the stock has traded really well. I mean, it's up in line basically with the NASDAQ about 21% um, on the year. And it's really outperforming a lot of its peers. Look at that. That's the 18, 19 month chart right there. I'll let Carter speak to that in a sec. But to me, I think that's got some pretty interesting um, technical support at that 50 to 52 range. That was the prior breakout level here. Um, the stock is down about 10% since its 19 year highs made last month. So here's the thing. As I think about this earnings event um, next week, it's Wednesday after the close, I say to myself, all right, well, I just heard Chuck Robbins say how well his team executed on shifting the supply chain to avert some of the issues that they might have with tariffs. Um, now that we know that there's another 10% supposedly covering on September 1st, I think they've been given a little cover here to possibly give some conservative guidance for the current quarter. And then we get to a situation with September 1st where who knows whether these tariffs are going to be put in place. But I think right there, that chart, implied volatility, the price of options in Cisco, they're very near 2019 highs. They're high. So if you want to make a directional bet, it's really hard to do with options options here. So to me, I want to kind of lean bullish on this one. I want to sell the implied move just in the weekly options here. And I will look to help finance some longer dated options that might catch a little bit of a thaw on that September 1st uh, tariff. So to me, the trade was kind of simple. 52.60 today, you could buy the August next week expiration, September 55 call calendar, paying 65 cents for that selling one of the August next week, uh, 55 calls at 45 cents, buying one of the Septembers for $1.10. Your max risk is 65 cents. It's a little more than 1% of the stock price. What am I trying to do here? I am targeting 55. That is the implied move to the upside. I don't really think we're going to have a strong beaten raise that gets it above that. I'm financing that September call, and I think we get to the end of this month. If we have more market volatility, we may see a push out of those September tariffs. Then stocks like Cisco are going to rip, and that's where you will probably see them retesting those prior highs from July, if that's the case. You know, if you're trying to figure out when options are expensive, this calendar spread really outlines it yep. pretty clearly. So the 55 calls that he's selling expire in seven days. The 55 calls in SEP that he's buying expire in 42 days. They cost only about double what those ones that you're selling are. I like the fact that you've targeted the strike, which is about what the average move has been. And I also like the fact that considering where the stock is and also how the market has behaved this week, that if you were going to roll out of next week long a stock, would you want to have bought the shares today? Probably not. I mean, we're seeing some, pre, you know, some pretty volatile action. I think owning those longer-dated, cheaper calls in implied vol space is the right way to make that. Carter, what does the chart tell you, or what is your reaction to what we've just been talking about? Sure. So if we, we were to look at uh, Dan's original chart, there, when you have well-defined intermediate lows and you're hovering at those lows, which happen to be fairly close to prior intermediate highs, the chart that he drew with the double lines, and there it is, support is, again, not a plywood board or a concrete floor. It's a mattress top. You get to support, and often you sink down into support. Support goes all the way to 48. I think you're probably getting into the high fours before this actually finds support. So he doesn't like it, just to just translate. Just, just okay, just so I'm really clear okay. there. Very, very, okay. okay, got it. All right, uh, we're going to take a break. We're just getting warmed up, warmed up here on Options Action, and here's what's coming up next. Stocks taking investors on a wild ride this week, but if all the crazy swings are making you queasy, buckle up, because Mike Coe has a way to protect your portfolio for less. Plus, calling all Options Action fans, reach into your pocket 
grab your phone and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. Welcome back to Options Action. It has been, I probably don't need to remind you, a wild week on Wall Street. Trade tensions, currency wars, rate shocks, sending big gyrations through the stock market. But if you're wondering how to protect yourself against another major market move, fear not. Mike Coe is over at the Plasma with a call to action. Mike, it's all yours. Sure. Let's take a look at this. So we're going to take a look at using a put spread. This is going to be a little bit different than some of the others that we've talked about. Here's just something to think about when hedging generally, and that is, number one, this is something you're going to want to do tactically. If you spend all of your time hedged, it's going to end up costing you quite a lot of money over time. The next thing is, make sure you size your trade appropriately. You're going to try to figure out what the risk is, what you're trying to protect against, and then just make sure that you allocate the necessary amount. In a situation like this, if you're concerned about a big drawdown, maybe we can find kind of a cheap downside lottery ticket that's going to pay off if something bad happens. And that's especially true in circumstances when you see elevated volatility because that raises the price of options. So we are seeing options premiums somewhat elevated. So let's take a look at how the S&P has performed since the beginning of the year. We can see that if you're thinking about what your downside risk is, where you might go might look a little bit like where you came from. We can see that obviously right back here, we were down around 2,800, and obviously at the beginning of the year, we were substantially lower. What most people are probably concerned about, are we going to get a swoon where we might see something like a 10% decline? How do I give myself a little bit of protection against that kind of an event? So let's take a look at the trade we were looking at. This is a tight put spread that I was looking at. October 275, 270 put spread. That's only $5 wide. Now, here's the thing. When I was looking at this earlier today, and I'm not sure how I get rid of that. What if I do that? Oh, there we go. Uh, $4.15 for the 275 puts. Now, let's think about that. If you were just spending the $4.15, you would obviously need it to fall below that 275 strike price by at least that much. And, of course, that's also how much you could lose. Sell the 270 puts against it for 330 net net. You're spending 85 cents in premium. Now, let's think about this for a second. The most this can be worth is $5. So that means if it drops below that level, a decline of 8% or more, you're going to get a payoff of about 5 to 1. So if you put, say, 1% of your portfolio into a trade like this and you get that 10% decline, you've mitigated half of the downside that you have because you're going to see nearly 5% profits on a trade. That is does sound like a cheap lottery ticket. Some some good math there, right? So you yeah. put one percent. Yeah, it really is about sizing, and so it really doesn't matter, um, you know, what the width of your put spread is if you size it really small and it's not commensurate with what you're trying to head. I, I think Mike's as an exercise that makes a ton of sense. I can't wait to hear what Carter has to say um, about the SPY chart because I just think about it since January of 2018 when we had that high and it took what ten months to get a new high last October. Every new high we've had, we've had three since then. They've all been slight, right? They've been like 1% to 2%. And to me, they're giving you an opportunity to actually put protection on when we make a new high because we don't break out. We actually right. go down from those That's levels. That's right. And they've been slight new highs, and also they're not confirmed, meaning as the S&P has made those slight new highs, the transports haven't. The BKX index hasn't. The S&P 500 industrial sector hasn't. Energy hasn't. Materials hasn't. Meaning it's just a handful of names. We know the top five names are more weight than the bottom 270. So much is dependent. It's a bit of musical chairs. And it's good technique, actually. When things are very 
concerning, people go to high ground. High ground is Microsoft Visa. They use credit growth, but at some point, those get away as well. Re- really important question. So Microsoft, if you think of MAGA, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, at one point, there were $4 trillion in market cap. The only one that confirmed the high was Microsoft. They did so in a big way. It's come back a little bit. Does it concern you that uh, Alphabet, Google, and uh, Amazon have not? Sure. And, and ultimately, it ends with the, the musical chairs ending, people all hiding in a few, and then those give way. I mean, one would have to say that the June lows are in play, right? So call that 2720 or thereabouts. And why not with a little uh, follow through below that? Final thought, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I just think one thing you also want to keep in mind is that you don't want to do this when the market's trading on its dead lows. You know, you can get whipsawed. Don't buy this when you're down 600 points on the Dow. That's not the time for it. All righty. Coming up, shares of Twitter taking flight this year, and that is great news for one of our traders. We'll tell you who and why. Plus, it's Friday, so you know what that means. Of course you do. We're going to take your tweets. Shoot over your best question to our Twitter handle, at OptionsAction, and you may just get your answer right here on air. We're live at the NASDAQ Market Site. Don't go anywhere. Much more options action right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. Back in July, Mike Coe said shares of Twitter were about to take flight. And boy, did they. Take a look at how this soaring trade made money. On Options Action, it's how we maintain our social status. Risk less so we can make more. And that's exactly what Mike did with his bullish bet on Twitter. Mike thought Twitter was about to take flight. But buying 100 shares of stock would set him back nearly four grand. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, Mike, I thought this show was all about risking less and making more. It is, Tyler. And let me show you how it's done. To spend less, I bought the September 38 strike call for $2.55. Now, in order to make money, I need shares of Twitter to rise above that strike by more than the cost of the trade or in this case, above 40.55 by September expiration. But shelling out 2.55 just to bet on Twitter is still a little pricey. So to cut costs, I then sold the September 43 strike call for 90 cents, reducing the cost of my trade to just $1.65. Now to see profits, I need Twitter to rise above the 38 strike that I bought by more than the reduced cost of the trade, or above 39.65 by September expiration. But I have another trick up my sleeve. And to cut costs even more, I sold the September 33 strike put for a dollar and created my call spread risk reversal. It's like you died and went to options heaven, right? Here's how it works. Between the 255 I spent on buying that 38 strike call, the 90 cents I collected on selling the 43 strike call, and the dollar I collected by selling the 33 strike put, I cut the cost of my trade down to just 65 cents. Now to make money, I just need Twitter to rise above 38.65 by September expiration. Hey, that's pretty good, Mike. Just a second, Ty, because there is a trade-off. And by selling that put, I am now obligated to buy Twitter at that $33 strike price, even if it falls well below that level. All right, now I'm finished. How do we do on this one? Well, Mike, you know I'm new at this whole options thing, but since the time of the trade, Twitter shares are up 10% meaning this trade is looking pretty darn good. And now, Options Action followers all over the Twitter sphere just want to know one thing. What on earth will Mike do now? (laughs) 
I think you're going to wear those little angel wings in the Victoria's Secret fashion show. I think that's where they came from, right? Uh, that is indeed, yeah. And I, it, yeah, I'm be happy to run around with those. Maybe I'll run down to Times Square and have a run I think that would be good. Yeah, sure. What, but what are you doing as, now with Twitter? As far as Twitter is concerned, we're going to take the profits and run, though. We, we got the move we wanted. We've seen some of the decay that we wanted. We're right between the two strikes and the call spread. So I think taking the profits here. The other thing is, and we'll defer to Carter on this, the stock has basically traded sideways since we got the move that we were looking for. So it's hard for me to see if it's not like it's continuing in a straight line going further higher. Right. So, I mean, obviously Twitter in and of itself is a king in the market in the sense that its performance over the last one and two, three weeks compared to the market is fantastic. That being said, at this point, I'd rather take the money and run. Take the money and run. Take the money and run. Jeez, you know, I'm so conflicted on the name in general. I, the trade was great. You got the breakout. I think 40 is probably pretty good support. If you're trading it and you're not trading options, you probably just use 40 as a level where you might uh, kind of bail out. But it looks like it has um, continued upward momentum. You know, the issue that I have is they're not really meaningfully growing their base anymore. They're doing a better job monetizing it. And I think that's something that sooner or later becomes a problem for them, but not right now. And it showed very good relative strength this week. too. Does it surprise you that Twitter has come back from where it was two years ago? Just as a, as a stock, uh, well, the, no, teen, I mean, the teens to the forties. You mean, know, I mean, this is one of those situations where I I think there actually was some sentiment that the Twitter story was over, and then they managed to demonstrate mm-hmm. that that wasn't the case, right? So on a relative basis, uh, I'm actually not surprised, but I also don't think that it's a stellar story at the current level. You know, it was a very different thing when the stock was trading in the high twenties than when it's in the low. 40s. Up next, we got our final calls coming right at you. Final call, 30 seconds. Carter. Walmart, I'm a seller. Seller of Walmart. Mike. Put spreads in Walmart. Amanda, fairly well. All right, yes. Yeah, Mike, Carter, and I have been doing this show for almost 10 years or a little more. Amanda Diaz, you're the best. We're going to miss you. Cisco, That's Paul Callender. Cisco. Ah, there we go, the guy. Amanda Diaz, congratulations on a great run. That will do it for us here on Options Action. And you know what happens next. Mad Money starts right now. 